Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're in a series of lessons about the names of Jesus. And I want to begin with this. Southern Living Magazine <clears throat> had a list online of some church signs. Maybe you've seen these little marquees out front. Um, I thought about this this morning. I should have put the picture of the actual sign on the screen, but um, just bear with me. I want to read you a few. Maybe you've seen these or read these already. Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. Have you heard that one? <clears throat> this was in front of a Catholic church, believe it or not. What do you call a sleepwalking nun? A Roman Catholic. Yeah, think about it. <clears throat> Wanted singers inquire within. Bring your sin to the altar and drop it like it's hot. How do we make holy water? We boil the hell out of it. This one I wish you could see. It was a sign knee-deep in snow, and it read, Whoever is praying for snow, please stop. <clears throat> what could this sign say to get you here Sunday? Having trouble sleeping? We have sermons. Come hear one. <clears throat> How will you spend eternity, smoking or non-smoking? Without Jesus, there will be hell to pay. You know, this reminds us of the primary mission of the church, to save the lost. We've got the good news. It's a saving gospel because we call Jesus our Savior. But what does that name mean, really? Maybe if you grew up going to church, you've just heard that name, you've used that name, and, and without even thinking, really, what does it mean? Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. He stated that he never varied from that. That's our mission as well. You know, when you think about the names of Jesus, I don't know that there is a specific order. You know, if you're studying the Ten Commandments, you usually study them in order. If you're studying the Beatitudes, you go in order. The fruit of the Spirit, we usually go in order. But what is the order of the names of Jesus? I don't really know that they... They have an order, per se. Maybe they're the ones that are used the most, and that's where we've started. We started with Jesus, and then we talked about Lord and Christ. Well, today we're going to talk about Savior. This name is often used with these other three. Like in Luke 2, 11, I've shared this verse several times now. For unto you, the, shepherd said, the angel said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And think about it. If he was not the Savior, then it wouldn't be good news for him to be Christ and Lord. It's because he's the Savior that it is good news. And so often in Scripture, you'll read these titles of Jesus together. For example, 2 Peter 1.11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the Bible, from beginning to end, declares his desire to save, but it also describes his ability, his power to save. There's a phrase in the NIV translation of Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, I want you to see. It's on the screen. It's also uh, on your outline, because I want this to be really an outline for our lesson today. Hebrews 7, 25, therefore, he is able to save completely 
those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He is able to save completely. The ESV, the New King James, in fact, most other translations will will render that save to the uttermost. The New American Standard says able to save forever. But I really think the NIV nails it best. He is able to save completely. Because that's what we want to know. You know, is it enough? What kind of Savior is he? So I want this to be our outline for the study. He is able to save completely. Why can we be so sure? Because he's able. He's able to save, and he's able to save completely. So the first question, why is he able? Well, simply because he is God. Why is he able? Because he is God. It's a very bold statement for this Jesus of Nazareth to be called Savior because in the Old Testament, Savior was only used to talk about God. So here comes this Jesus, and he's identified as Savior. Isaiah 43, verse 11, I I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And often when you read in the Psalms, you will read the phrase, the God of my salvation. Remember that? The God of my salvation. In Hebrew, literally what that's saying is, God my Savior. That's what we're calling God in that sense. And it's not limited just to sin problems. Sometimes the psalmist was writing about maybe their health issues. Or maybe about an enemy that's about to take them. But what they're saying is, I need salvation. I need rescuing from someone Really, God, he's the only one who can save me in this. That's why we call him the God of my salvation, because nothing or no one else will do. So when you get to the New New Testament and you consider our sin problem, nothing else will do. We, too, need this term, Savior. So even note this, in the New Testament... God is called Savior. So we read about that in the Old Testament, but it's also in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, part of our study of the names of God and now the names of Jesus is to help us fine-tune our theology. Who is God? What is he like? What's his character? What's his nature? And if you don't know this, just mark that verse down. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, God wants all men to be saved. Not everybody thinks about God that way. Not all Christians think about God that way, but that is who he is. Titus 1, 3 reads, At the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of, and there's the phrase again, God our Savior. And the song we sang a moment ago, remember when the angel appeared to Mary to talk about her having this baby? And she sang the song, Luke 1, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now the reason I'm spending a little bit of time to acknowledge God as Savior is we need to understand when we talk about Jesus as Savior... There are some people who think, well, Jesus was able to come along and change God's mind. God was angry at the world, just ready to to send everybody to eternal torment, and Jesus came along and changed his attitude away from anger and more toward love and grace. But Jesus didn't change the attitude of God. 
Jesus revealed the attitude of God that's always been. Yahweh is the God of salvation. That is who he is. Maybe you've heard the parable of, of, of the parable about the holy man that was walking by a flooded creek. And he saw this branch that was in the water and on that branch, and it was, the water was rising, about to take the branch away, he saw a scorpion. So he reached out to try to save the scorpion, and every time he got close, the scorpion would strike at him. Somebody passing by said this, You fool, don't you know that it's in the nature of that scorpion to sting? But the wise man said, But don't you know it's in my nature to save? Why should I change my nature just for someone else. And that really describes God. God looks at people polluted with sin, sometimes striking at him, not wanting anything to do with him. And what he does, because it's his nature, he reaches out to save. Whether we want it or not, whether we even know we need it or not, that is who he is. So he reached out through his son, Jesus. And you remember the name that he gave his son, Mary didn't choose it, Joseph didn't choose it, the angels didn't choose it, God chose it. Remember the name? Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? Yahweh saves. The Lord is my salvation. Why is Jesus able to save? Because he's God. We need to get that, understand that. See, those who were writing the Old Testament Scripture, when they wrote about God, our Savior, they knew that. And so when those who were writing the New Testament Scripture had no trouble writing that same name about Jesus. They knew what they were doing when they called Jesus Savior. They were calling Jesus God. Let me point you to an interesting text, Titus chapter 3, where both of these come together. Beginning in verse, uh, verse 4. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So this, this passage right here, you've got God our Savior and Jesus our Savior. So the good news then is that we need this. Even now, the God who saves came in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Savior, is the way, the truth, and the life. Look at what Peter said in Acts chapter 5, verse 31. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So again, Jesus said it from the very beginning. He came on a rescue mission. He came to save people. And why can he do it? Because Jesus is God. He came to save you. Now for you, that may just be a reminder. You're already saved. So maybe let this be not just a reminder of your own salvation, but a reminder of still those you know who are not saved. So maybe the best thing you can do today is on the side of your outline is just write out some names, people you know and care about that have not yet named Jesus as Savior. And then put that somewhere where you can continue to pray for them. Well, the writer of Hebrews says not only is he able, to, is he, able he is able to save. Well, why is he able? I'll give you two reasons. The first, because he died. 
Tucker and I didn't talk about this. He just chose the passage to read. But as he was reading that, I thought, did I choose that verse to share in, in my notes? I couldn't remember. Because he shared this very thought, and you know the thought. He's able to say, because he died. Jesus could not save us and himself. The sin debt, sin payment, required death. I think we understand that. Let me show two verses that talk both about the Father sending the Son. 1 John 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the ESV. The NIV says the atonement for our sins. It means like the payment, the, the perfect payment. Really, literally, it means appeasement. It was enough. Think of it that way. Four verses later, verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. So to be the Savior then means He met. It was enough. He appeased the dead. That's what He's saying there in this passage. So in order to be the Savior, He had to be sacrificed. It cost Him enormously. In 1790, America was in trouble. We were just on the other side of the Revolutionary War, and this new government was trying to pull together these 13 states, and they were in trouble because these 13 states were just racked in enormous debt. They had borrowed from their citizens everything they could for, for ammunition and for uniforms and for food and supplies just to be able to keep the, 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 the resistance going. They had nowhere else to go. This enormous debt, no way to pay it back. They were strapped. And if you remember your history, this is when the American government stepped in and assumed all the war debt. It's called the Assumption Act of 1790. Because the states could never pay back the debt. Well, there's a better story than that. And you knew where I was going. Jesus came and died and assumed the debt that we could never pay. You might call it the Assumption Act of A.D. 30, where He paid the price of our sins. We need to understand that Jesus is able to save because He was the perfect offering. Look at how Peter described to the Christians that he was writing in 2 Peter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Why was Jesus able to be the Savior? Because of His righteousness. He was the perfect sacrifice. His perfect obedience. His righteousness fulfilled the law. And it is through that, that is why He was able to save. We need never forget the price he paid to be our Savior. Albert Schweitzer was a medical missionary in Africa. And he describes one of his friends back in London who owned a restaurant. And, and, and as an owner of the restaurant, he had a, a rule that any Christian worker could eat free. And as a reminder of that, he had in his cash drawer there with all the money coming in, a six-inch nail to remind him of the price that Jesus paid that's why Jesus is able to save, because Jesus died. Now, I need to say something. 
It takes more than being a martyr. Tucker was talking about hope. And we can talk about hope because it's not just his death. It's because he lives. And that's the second reason he's able to save. Because Jesus lives. Maybe you remember the classic song, I Serve a Risen Savior. That should be an oxymoron, but it's not. We need to say it that way. I serve a risen Savior. Remember how Paul in, in the book of Romans was, was describing Abraham and, and how it was counted to Abraham as righteousness because of his faith. He believed God and God imputed or accounted it for righteousness to him. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What other, what other Savior can make a claim like that? Not just to die for someone, but to come back to life for someone. Vladimir Lenin died in 1924. If you know anything about him and his death, you know they put him in a glass coffin. I mean, he truly was worshipped. And people would come by and observe for years, thousands upon thousands. If you travel there, you know, you've seen it. It's amazing to think about, but it happened. There on that coffin are these words. He was the greatest leader of all people of all time. He was the Lord of a new humanity. He was the Savior of the world. Am I the only one that thinks it's a little ironic that you would put Savior of the world next to a dead body? They believed so much in Him, thought so well of Him. But what a glaring contradiction. We need a Savior who is mightier than death, and that is Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now notice what he's about to say about why we can be confident. Verse 10, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Who cares how many men claim to be the Savior? How many men are credited as being the Savior? The, really, the only fact that matters is who came back from the grave. Because he lives, he can guard the salvation that he died to grant us. Now we need to get that, but sometimes, sometimes we think, you know, am I saved or, or am I still saved? And, and we wonder about our own salvation. Absolutely. Because he didn't just die for you, he came back to life to keep that salvation. Look at Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I think the author of this couplet said it well. Chief of sinners, though I be, Jesus shed his blood for me, died that I might live on high, lives that I might never die. 
through that classic song, got it right. I serve a risen Savior. He is able to save because He's God. He's able to save because He died and because He lived. And He's able to save completely. He's able to save completely. If we could just reflect for the next couple of moments what it means. He's able to save completely. A lot of things that involves. I want to share three. First, He's able to save body and soul. He's able to save body and soul. Part of what we mean, we save completely. He can save the whole person. And again, this may be where our theology might need a little tweaking. Because if we're not careful, we may get some of our thinking about the afterlife, not from Scripture, but from the ancient Greeks. Because all these are kind of floating around in our, our psyche and our world, and we kind of absorb these things. But it was the ancient Greeks who are the ones who put the picture in our minds of, of, of the, the immortal spirits living forever on wispy clouds. But you don't read of that in Scripture. What you read of in Scripture is the resurrection of the body. Not wispy, disembodied spirits floating on clouds. Did you know, in your New Testaments, when you read through the Greek word, Saved is actually what is, appears in Jesus' healing ministry. Now, in our English translations, it doesn't appear as saved, but it's the same Greek word. I'll give you a couple of examples. Luke chapter 8, verse 36. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. The NIV says cured. The Greek word is saved. That's what he's saying there. Then verse 48, then he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. That made you well? Saved. Your faith has saved you is what he's saying. Now both of those deliveries or rescue, this man from the demon possession or this woman with this blood disorder, were part of the saving ministry, the healing ministry of Jesus. And Jesus' healing ministry then and now is a, is a visible evidence of his power to rescue his followers. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus rescued or healed everyone that he saw. And it doesn't mean that in today when we ask for healing, that he gives us that. Even today, what it does mean is that when Jesus heals in his sovereign choice, he does so to remind us the devil's not going to get a part of me at all. He's going to save us completely, body and soul. Look at Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, tweak our theology here. Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to be subject of all things to Himself. Transform our lowly bodies. Or you might say, He can save Completely. He is able to do that. Well, second, save completely means he can save anybody at any time. To use that word uttermost, you might say the uttermost of need. First Timothy 1 verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying, Paul says, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The uttermost. And he can save to the uttermost of time. Some people struggle with the thief on the cross being saved at the last minute. Is that you? 
Do you wonder how, how did that happen? I mean, he can just say, Lord, save me, and, and, and that seems to be enough. That doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I love that because that tells me God can save to the very last minute. That is how powerful he is. He is able to do that. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player who became a well-known evangelist. He was making plans to go to Los Angeles to, to host a revival. So he wrote ahead to the mayor and said, could you just give me a list of names of people that need encouragement and prayer? He was surprised to receive in the mail the whole city directory. Everybody needs prayer. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs saving. The Bible says it's never too hopeless, it's never too bad, never too late for Jesus to save. Listen to what the Samaritan said after the woman at the well talked about Jesus. John 4, 29. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Then verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. One author said, he can save the guttermost to the uttermost. Anybody, anytime. And then third, he can save now and then. Jesus can save completely means Jesus has the power to keep what he has bought. Get this. There is a sense where I can say, I am saved. There is also a sense in which I can say, I will be saved. And there's also a sense where I can say, I am being saved. That is a part of his being able to save completely now and then. Because I still need rescuing. Look at 2 Timothy 4 verse 18. Paul said, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. We'll rescue, we'll save, same Greek word there. The God who died to give me salvation lives to keep my salvation. That's what we're talking about here. Folks, he's saving you now, but it won't be complete until he saves you then. Is that what Paul meant, Titus 2, verse 13? We wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, then our salvation will be complete. Then we'll more fully understand our salvation. And when we do, it will take us an eternity to praise Him for it. Is He able to save? Yes, He's able to save because He's God. Can He save? You bet. He died and He lived. Can he save completely, body and soul, anybody, anytime, now and then? And when he comes, I don't know what song will come to mind or for sing it all, but hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Are you saved? 
Praise God for it. And if you're saved, who are you sharing the good news with? Of this Jesus who is able to save completely. So we sing the song of invitation. It's to encourage you to name the name of Jesus. Let him make you a new creation in baptism. Like Jeffrey was this past Sunday, you can follow his example. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he will never leave you, and he will keep you. That's what the scripture teaches us. Or maybe this song of invitation is for you to pray. If you're saved, you pray for the folks you know in your world, you're concerned for, who need Jesus as Savior. If you need to come, why don't you do so as we stand and sing. Oh.